and welcome to the gaming-based interview series on the Nico Pingan YouTube channel, Facebook page, Twitch, uh, for productive gamers by a gamer with your host, Nico Pingan. And today we have an Amazon and Audible best-selling author, Chris Philbrook in the building. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. I am stoked to be here today. And I appreciate the fact that you took time out of your busy schedule as a best-selling author to come and just talk not too much about books, but actually about video games. <laughs> it's nice to have a, a pleasant break and interlude to talk about interesting things rather than you know, <laughs> the same old, same old. Oh, yes. Yeah. So tell me, how did you end up in the gaming industry? Because I'd heard that you used to work or you currently work in the gaming industry. Yeah, so I I went to a convention uh, back in like 1998 or 99, and mm -hmm. I, I got a demo of a game by the vice president of uh, WizKids Games at the time, Ray. And I loved the game that he showed me, and it wasn't out yet, and I was really enthusiastic and mm -hmm. said, hey, you know, hey, can I have your card? I want to follow up, you know, keep me in the loop, and, and just like fanboyed all over this guy. Yeah, yeah. And in the months leading up to the game's release, I like joined forums and was like, you know, just getting really excited about the game. And when it came out, I, I wound up getting the attention of some of the, you know, the, the in-company playtesters who watched the forums and saw, you know, everybody interacting and talking about the game. And I showed oh, wow. enough, I showed enough insight about the game uh, that the, one of the playtesters, a guy named Ian was like, Hey, do you do you want in? And uh, I was like, what? What? what, what, uh, what? <laughs> you know? And, uh, I, I mean, I still remember like like that feeling. And the guy was like, "Look, like we need more playtesters. The game is is a hit, and we want you to to at least help a little bit. Would you be willing?" Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, of course." You know, this is literally my life stream to like be right? a part of game you know production, and that's how it started. And I worked as a playtester for. I don't know, three, three to six months uh, developing like tabletop stuff and like the mechanics behind um, how game systems work, like the math and the structures. And uh, after that, they started a new product line, a new game that they were working on. And mm -hmm. they said, hey, do you want to be like a bigger part of this new new game? Interesting. Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> like, don't <laughs> assume the answer is yes. And I, I was brought on board as... Um, like the senior playtest manager of, of, of that game. And I, I wound up being the rules arbitrator uh, for that game, uh, which is a game called Mage Knight. And the specific one was Mage Knight Dungeons. And uh, I was basically the guy who decided if a rule worked and if a system mm. was broken or needed to be fixed. And I got the final say on any of the characters and their stats that showed up in the game and oh, said, all right, this is balanced. This is broken. This needs a tweak, you know, whatever. Oh, and I did that for years. I did that for three or four years. Um, and that's actually how I started writing because they they had mm. us submit little bits to like show up on the website. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like quotes of the characters and like interactions between characters and like the lead into a new scenario or, a, you know, a, a battle that was coming up or whatever. And uh, that's, that's how I started writing because they started to pick more and more of the little pieces I submitted. Yeah, yeah, before yeah. you know it, I was, you know, I was writing half the time. And, you know, fast forward years later, <clears throat> I wound up getting laid off because the company got bought out. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I started writing and now I write books for a living. So, yay. Happy wow, ending. Wow, that, that is it's so <clears throat> interesting. So 
because you were constantly like on the forums, you were, you know, consistent in posting and liking and whatnot. They like, was there like some sort of like a ladder or ranking where they could see, or they just literally every post or whatever, they would just see you on there. They just saw my activity. Um, you know, like one of the best ways for game developers to, to get true feedback is to, um, to, just sort of like skulk in the background of, of forums. And like nowadays mm -hmm. it would be Reddit or Facebook groups or, you know, Twitter threads or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just anonymously watch, you know, through, through secondhand accounts and they see all of these unbiased, completely frank opinions. And mm -hmm. they see intelligent people who play these games. Right talking about the game and you'd be shocked at how many times you, you can go through something in a game and it looks absolutely perfect to you and everybody on the team and then mm -hmm. 15 minutes after release some kid in utah who you know sees the light of day once a month because he's a mormon was like hey did you guys know that this is actually wrong and you're like <laughs> and, and like then you're scrambling to make a fix you know right right and i mean that happens it doesn't matter how much work or how many eyes you put on it occasionally something happens where there's an interaction that you know didn't get flagged or didn't get noticed um so yeah like it, they they just saw me they just saw me interacting they saw me talking theory they saw me talking you know unconsciously i was talking about the balance of things mm -hmm. you know like hey well that only oh. makes sense because of this and oh. if this changes then that throws that out of whack so i yeah, I, yeah. I somehow showed them a, a deeper understanding of of you know the 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 balance of of their seesaw so so and you, you were really staying at it you were really theoretical before you were on as the balancer mm-hmm yeah i mean i think that's what distinguishes a lot of really high level gamers um they they see that next level Hmm. you know that like okay i'm having fun and this is great and i have this awesome thing that i saw on youtube to equip to my character and i'm running the best list of you know whatever game that you're you're you know trying to play and hmm. then there's that next level of people that see those interactions and they see the theory and they're looking you know that extra step or two down the line it's like chess players right like yes, I, yes. I i i i'm a game developer i can't play chess worth a shit what I, I can't i just can't there's too many options there's, there's just there's too many things to go down the line and and i can't hold more than like three or four moves in my head at a time because mm -hmm. my brain's just going too fast right so right, right. once i run out of my three or four moves if the person i'm playing is still three or four moves ahead they got me game over done right so i suck at chess but i'm really good at the theory of it right like i could talk about it all day and sound intelligent but i'm awful at the game <laughs> awful. oh my goodness well that's so intriguing that your start to game development came as a fan not as somebody that submitted yeah. an application so so would it be safe to say that you pretty much got scouted based off of your intelligence i i mean i think that that would be a, a way to describe it that sounds nice <laughs> <laughs> i i think i was vocal and consistent and had enough good ideas that they they rolled the dice on me you know and then you said that they got you in as like a play tester mm -hmm. yep yeah as a volunteer uh initially uh the first uh, i don't know three months or so um just like they would send me stuff to to just you know look at and and numbers and and sort of like hey what do you think about this idea for the game uh and then it, it just grew and grew and grew and it got to the point where it's like all right well you're doing enough work for us that we have to like pay you now uh and that was just like a dream come true like i remember the first time i got a check 
Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. just like, oh, how did that man? Feel? It was it was a trip. It was a trip. I've been, I've been a gamer my whole life. You know, I, I was playing games when I was like eight or nine. So like to have that suddenly be something that I could do and say, hey guys, hey guys, guess guess what? I'm a game developer. <laughs> you know, and I and I never achieved like massive you know high levels of renown or recognition, and nobody knows mm-hmm. my name. And most of the games that I worked on, you know, aren't available anymore and weren't gigantic hits. But still, it was awesome. Yeah, that's an epic feeling. I I wish I could feel that. So you gotta you gotta explain it to me now. I, when you said that because you kept developing the balancing so much, and you did it to the point where you pretty much were creating the game lore, mm-hmm. and, you know, from little small itty bitty codes to I would assume you were probably being asked to do much more lore. Now, did that give you the idea to be an author after you mm-hmm. like? Uh, got bought out or during the time where you were creating the lore you would just write on your free time and be like hey if I'm doing this for this character for this game can I do it for myself uh, you know both really I one, one of my old school loves like going back to, to middle school was Dungeons and Dragons right so mm-hmm. you know I grew up in a fairly small town and I had just a few friends and we were all super into D&D and we just told stories you know like you know D&D around the table is just like a, it's collaborative storytelling right and when I, I got into the position where I could tell stories in the game right it's just that next extension instead of telling stories to my friends sitting around a table rolling dice and and eating you know doritos and mountain dew or whatever i was just <laughs> telling those stories to people online you know or people who are reading the back of a rule book or you know people who you know saw an on-screen message so you know it was that that next level and then once i realized that i had just a little bit of writing chops like enough that the company i worked for published you know my writing mm-hmm. it it kind of opened my eyes to the idea of like hey you know what dude like maybe if you really applied yourself to this writing thing not the game development thing but the writing thing you Mm -hmm. might be talented enough to pull something off Mm. so it was kind of a natural extension where you know imposter syndrome is a real thing right like you know it doesn't matter how many books i sell or how many podcasts i'm on or how many autographs i sign i am always a no talent hack that is just barely clinging to success right Hmm. and having that that little bit of confidence built through those little steps um you know starting out as a game development volunteer and then Mm -hmm. you know working my way up to bigger positions and actually having final decisions and then having stuff you know published and you know those little incremental steps gave me enough courage to just keep reaching out and exposing myself and taking that risk you know because it's Hmm. i'm not a code guy I don't have that that skill set, yeah. but I am I am a balance guy and I'm a story guy and mm-hmm. I can create a universe and then quantify it with a system. You know, what numbers are good, what numbers are bad and so on. And then I hand that off to, you know, if, if it's for a video game, it would go you know to the coding people who then say, mm-hmm. OK, well, how do we create a game around this structure? Um, so I don't have the, the paycheck of a, of a software engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it, you know, like I, I, I'm incredibly grateful for the time that I had working in game development and I, I still moonlight here and there helping some people now and then with, you know, questions they have, but you know, nothing, nothing huge, but it, it's just, it's a, it's been a privilege. Wow. That's so interesting. And do you like the fact that because you started off with the game development and you transitioned to being an author, do you feel like because you 
you were allowed almost to be a gamer for just a couple of years more it really assisted in your pursuit of becoming an author i would say so yeah that's a pretty fair um fair connection to make i i i talk a i've been talking more about it um in the last year or so but i have pretty severe adhd and it was undiagnosed the vast majority of my life and it wasn't until about a year ago that mm-hmm. um you know one of my mental health professionals was like have you ever considered And, you know, all of a sudden, like all of these things just started to make sense. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things about ADHD brain chemistry Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, dopamine, the feel-good chemical, right? Mm -hmm. Normal brains make it all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So you always have like a general level of, of well-being and happiness and satisfaction and you get jumps of it from like doing things around the house and you feel good when tasks are accomplished. ADHD brains don't do that. Hmm. The only way they can make dopamine is to engage in a task that gives them satisfaction Mm. or stimulates them, right? It doesn't even have to be entertaining. It just has to be stimulating, which is why you see people with ADHD, their leg is going like this under the table. You know, it's going like crazy because that, that motion releases dopamine, right? Right. And earlier in life, I I got so much of my dopamine from games, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from gaming. And I could plug myself into a game for hours on end. And it, it, calmed my brain down it slowed me down it it kept me focused and it gave me you know peace of mind and the thing is is i would play for a few hours right and then be able to ride that dopamine high for a few more hours Hmm. so then you know i'd turn off my you know playstation or i'd turn off my super nintendo and i'd be good to go to like do stuff around the house for hours i could do my homework i could bust out xyz and and that ability to like plug in and let my brain kind of level out really allowed me to be um as successful in life as i've been able to be so for that you know gaming has just been you know a big deal wow how did you figure out that sounds like such an effective hack yeah yeah like so you would game and then knowingly that your brain is still getting stimulated from the concept of playing you would go and do the things that you needed to do it was unconscious at the time, you know, like 13 year old Chris, who was, you know, busting out, you know, Final Fantasy, um, you know, after school, didn't <laughs> didn't understand that he was unconsciously hacking his brain to get it to function. Mm. Looking back on it 25 years later, it's like, oh, my God, like totally like I was absolutely hacking the system to get my brain to function, you know. And, uh, you know, I still do it today, right? Like I, I have games I play on my phone and when I'm like a little down or whatever, like I just stop, I mm-hmm. fire up the game, I play for five minutes, I, you know, unlock a quest or I, I bust Ooh. out a, you know, a head to head PVP match and whatever game okay. I'm playing and okay. I get that spike and then I put my phone down and I'm like, all right, cool. And I go, I go right back to work, Oh my um, gosh. which is also why I could never work an assembly line, right? Like I never sit there and just do with the same thing over and over. My brain would literally drive me off a cliff and, and gaming, especially, you know, the way I just described how I use it really keeps my brain kind of level. Um, Cause you know, you just can't take a riddle in every five minutes. Otherwise your heart will explode. Oof. (laughs) Oof. 
No, you you said it. Now, before we continue, I do want to give everybody the opportunity to hear where they can follow you, like you, uh, support you as a, a indie author. So that way, uh, this is not just something that you verbalize, but they actually <laughs> provide some support to you. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. So um, if, if anyone is new watching that, that isn't familiar with my work, I mostly well known for writing in the, the post-apocalyptic genre. That's the series that... Um, kind of gave me the career that I have and I have a big footprint on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook and you just drop in Phil Brook author, um, you'll get all of my pages and whatnot. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter, same thing, Phil Brook author. Um, if you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy your books online and just plot my name in, all of my stuff will show up. And then you can always find me on my website, uh, which is the Chris Cause somebody bought Chris so we'll stick to the no worries, <laughs> <Right>. no worries. <laughs> okay, so back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, you did mention quite a few video game systems, and I have to ask, mm -hmm. which is your favorite? And if you have a hard time clarifying, the one that you spent the most time playing. Oh boy! Um, in terms of raw hours, PC. Uh, I, for many, many years, I was an MMO guy and Ooh, solid I, choice, solid choice. man, I couldn't even tell you how many hours I've sunk into MMOs during my lifetime. So that, and then, uh, after that, I, I, I kind of realized that MMOs and playing on my computer was a big trap because if I was working on my computer, it became very, very easy for me to minimize <laughs> and then fire up, you know, whatever game I was obsessed with. And then right, I, right. I can lose track of time so easily. So instead of, you know, playing for two minutes and getting that rush, I would play for 20 and then realize, Oh, I didn't, I didn't get anything done today. Right. Um, so I don't do any PC gaming anymore at all because I, I have to have that boundary because I'm a guy who sits at his computer all day. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But when I'm able to, I, I'm a PlayStation guy. Mm. So not because I have any particular loyalty to it, uh, but, you know, my friends growing up, we originally had like, you know, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64 and that stuff. And then we had one friend who got the original PlayStation and it just felt like like the next level of of you know experiences and all of us became obsessed with playstation simultaneously and we all asked for them for you know christmas or our birthdays and after a year or two we, we all managed to either save up or get them as gifts so my little core group of dudes um is mostly playstation and I, i've just stayed playstation ever since and uh, do you have a specific or favorite game on each uh, console of either the PC or PlayStation that it's just the number one, either the favorite one or the one that you put in the most hours in that you just can't get it out of your heart and mind and soul. <laughs> the Borderlands franchise. Ooh, I, okay, I, man, it, that game speaks to me. I don't know why it's funny. It gets me laughing. The quests are interesting. The, I love like that. The fact that you can like run loot and it's like a little MMO ish and you have, yes, yes, you know, yes. Like, everything about it just like appeals to me. It scratches every gaming itch I have. Yeah, but I also, yeah. I also really dig stuff like Assassin's Creed, um, mm. especially origins was really, really good. Um, and Odyssey. I really liked as well. Uh, Fallout. Like I love three and four. Those are both. I mean, I put a lot of time into those two games. And, you know, just like some of the generic shooters are, are really fun. I'm not a Call of Duty guy. I don't like to do online um, 
you know, matchmaking shooter games, uh, mainly because I want to be able to save and walk away. Right. Like, oh. and when I'm in a match and, you know, if my kid starts crying or, or whatever, like mm -hmm. I, I just want to be able to set the controller down and walk away. Uh, so I, I try and stay away from like the, the live games where I'm interacting with people one on one. But that's being a parent, though, you know. No, that's actually a pretty, pretty solid reason. I just don't play it because I suck. <laughs> well, I there's that too. <laughs> I just suck. I can't. I can't. I, I give me a MMO, a good storyline, and some friends, and you know, yeah. we'll we'll tackle this boss together. PvP, right. completely different realm. Completely yeah. different realm. And I have friends who are obsessed with PvP. Like, you know, I got a buddy. He's a doctor. He's a friend of mine who's a doctor, and in his spare time, he does raids on WoW. And oh, wow. he, he literally lives for PvP. Like he's on a PvP server oh, and he goodness. just runs around ganking people all night long and, <laughs> and then you know, talks smack about it the next day. And it's like, dude, like, you're a doctor, man. Like, you're supposed to heal. You took an oath, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he he, you know, but he loves it that but that's that's you know the, the beauty of all these oh, games. Man. There's something to appeal for all different kinds of personalities. Yeah, yeah. So Oh my goodness! Oh, you threw me for a loop there, man. The doctor is out here slaying when he needs to be saving. Oh my goodness! Seriously, he's not even a healer, right? I mean, I guess that's role playing for you, right? Like, do what you you're not in real life. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. That's his escapism of real life. Instead of healing, he's slaying. He's just running around shanking people and looting them and taking them all. Oh, wow, that's that's, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Uh, now, in regards to your writing, because I do want to at least touch base on it. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit, because, you know, I love playing video games. We could talk about video games all night, honestly. Uh, but in regards to uh, your um, your writing, so you started off your writing uh, career from gaming, which is mm -hmm. not something that happens all the time. Starting pretty much from basic here and there, lore, quotes, uh, saying, storylines. Uh, I, I would uh, just a quick pause. Did you ever have to like create like siblings and families too when you were gaming, when you were creating the game stories? Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely. How did, we, you, um, how did you do that? Because th that sounds so complicated. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's really easy. Um, a lot of times, like, you know, we would have like a. Yeah, a scenario would be, you know, every three months or so, we'd release a new block of characters for the game, right? Mm. So, you know, we would sit down and look at the the meta, you know, the current available characters, you know, figures, whatever yeah, available yeah. to, you know, the player base and the formats that we were promoting or whatever. And then we would look at that and say, okay, well, we need to introduce... Um, you know, more of these kinds of characters, more of these mm -hmm. kinds of characters. We need to introduce a, a balance for this character type because that one's kind of running amok right now. So, you know, once we figured out what we needed, then it was like, all right, well, what's the story we're going to tell with these guys? Are they themed? Are they a faction? Are they allies? Are they, you know, whatever? And then once you, you kind of like narrow down those like kind of broad strokes, then mm -hmm. you can like throw in fun stuff. Um, so the, the game that I primarily worked on was like a fantasy setting, but it was, um, now we would call it steampunk because there's like, you know, steam powered, you know, robots running around and, you know, they mm -hmm. had black powder guns, but there was also like magic and, and, you know, elementals and treants and stuff like that. But once you, you had those broad strokes, you could pull, you know, all those different things. And because we organized things into factions, we had, you know, a story Bible that, 
you know, if they belonged to a faction, these were yeah, like yeah. The, the five things that they must have. These are the five things they must not have. Ooh. And then you, it's like a framework, right? So you, you yes. have like a recipe and then you, you see all those things that get auto filled in for you. And then what's left over is actually fairly easy to come up with. Coming up with the actual story beyond that is, is pretty straightforward. So like we, you know, we had a, a little release, like a holiday release that was like, I think it was six, six characters. Mm-hmm. And I wrote an adventure that featured all of those characters. Mm-hmm. And then I developed the characters based on the story for the adventure, you know, the setup, mm-hmm. like I wrote the setup and then you bought the people, you know, as a package and then had yeah, all yeah. of them to use as resources to play in the story that I set up. And yeah, I literally just got to write them all. You know, so I got to write the backstory and the history and the names for all of those characters for that release. And all of that was in the story. And then the players got to play and have a natural um, evolution of, you know, that experience. And that was really super fun because I I had carte blanche to basically do whatever I wanted. Um, But, you know, when you're interacting with a a bunch of different people and there's like Mm -hmm. branding involved and you have to make sure that you're not copying anything else. And then the legal Mm -hmm. department jumps in and you got to like make sure that Uh what you did, it hasn't already been done. And, you know, you'd be shocked how many names have already been used. And, you know, if you name a wizard, you know, Gandalf or something, you're going to get a (laughs) lawyer, you know, like (laughs) the way it is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you got to be a little creative and and when there's money at stake, you know, you you have to be, you know, you have to avoid um litigious companies. Hmm. But then, you know, that's the business. So, and then when you transition into doing it for yourself for creative writing purposes, did that pretty much foundation of how to do it and all mm-hmm. those things that you must do in order to make it make sense and things that you must not do did that enable you to almost again like almost cheat your way into already like i already know how to do this exactly yeah yeah i i you know i was doing this in the the late 90s and 2000s um in the gaming end of it and we kept everything organized um i I was at the cusp of when we went from excel to building databases like access Mm -hmm. databases to keep all of our story you know together and then we had like um private servers um that you know the company could access that had all of the information you could see all the revision notes and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. i watched the technology um kind of go from everyone just has a document on their computer that we occasionally update and then send out to everybody to we're all doing um, changes to the server that everyone can see and everyone can see who made what changes and every iteration is recorded and whatnot. Having that structure of learning how to organize information helps me as a writer, because Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to keep the continuity of my own stories, I'm organized. Right. So I naturally fall into that habit of structuring all of my facts to keep pretty much everything in line <clears throat> and i you know i still make mistakes occasionally i forget that a character got a finger shot off or you know whatever um but it it has given me a foundational skill set that i'm able to to build with and and create again create a career so and what do you think would be the number one lesson that you've learned either as an author or as a gamer that has enabled you to be as successful as you are today Man, the number one skill. Um, no, the number one lesson. Oh, that the number learned. one lesson. Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's much easier. Persistence. Ooh. Persistence. Um, it it solves almost every problem. 
and people who fail are often the people who lose hope because they they're not willing to take that one more try right oh you spit in <laughs> game development and anything creative like anything mm -hmm. creative you're a painter you're a, a music artist whatever a writer you are going to meet rejection and failure constantly constantly mm -hmm. no matter what level mm -hmm. you reach professionally there will always be people who hate what you do mm. and by extension don't like you for whatever reason they apply the right. work you do to your personality um, like some of the reviews for my books literally say that I'm mentally disturbed and should seek mental, mental, you know, health counseling. And like, these people don't know me or right? right. like they, they read a book about a story that's fictional with fictional characters <laughs> and, and they think I'm the crazy people. Right. So, all right. Oh, pump man. the brakes on that one. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's persistence. Um, mm. And, you know, like dial it all the way back to, you know, the, you know, fat Chris sitting on the side of his bed in ninth grade, who's tried to kill, you know, the, the boss at the end of a video game for the 35th try. And you get him on the 36th try. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the payoff of that success is sweeter i would say than if you just got it on the first try right because like mm -hmm. you you went through it you tried you tested yes. yourself you used different ideas you adjusted your character you came at it with a different strategy whatever and you go through all those iterations of failure and then at the end you have that success right and it that, that accomplishment is i mean that's the dopamine that i'm talking about right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and writing is no different you know the you just keep trying you keep trying and you keep trying and that's like the difference. I mean, I think that's something that, that I learned, you know, that you just, you, it, persistence is the only thing that always solves problems. <sighs> no matter what, as long as you keep at it, you, you have a chance. And that just makes me think of what would you say was the biggest or is the biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome with your persistent that other than that 36th try at the boss that gave you <laughs> that that amazing sensation like i'm glad yeah. i didn't give up what's Seriously? that number one yeah. challenge the number one challenge um i mean the the, the cheesy answer is staying persistent Ooh. and and not allowing myself to get frustrated with failure mm -hmm. you know and reminding myself that failures and rejection are part of the process it's a natural part of the process and it's really hard sometimes to to not get down um you know if i have a couple of failures in a row or if you know i i get a bunch of um you know untimely criticism or you know i get bad news from two completely unrelated things and you know in a short amount of time it, it's really easy to get you know down Mm -hmm. And, and when you're talking about writing books or doing anything in media, you know, mm -hmm. movies, TV, video games, whatever you hear, no, 10 times more than you, you hear. Yes. Mm. And you have to get through those no's sometimes. And it's really tough to keep your chin up and it's really tough to stay persistent. And, and that, I mean, it's a struggle now. Like I, I am by any measure a wildly successful author and some days it's hard, <laughs> you know, right, it's right. like, man, what do I do this? Like, why do I put myself through this? And, and I mean, I remember when I, I was working in game development, a lot of it, 
I mean, I rode the high for that for a long time, but then it got to the point where it's like, all right, that thing I put out, you know, I, people didn't like these four things I worked on and people mm-hmm. kind of, you know, trashed that little short story I wrote. And am I good at this? And, you know, is this something I'm actually good at? Like, uh, maybe I'm not, you know, and you doubt yourself, but at the end of the day, if you stay persistent and yeah, consistent, you, you will yield results especially if you're flexible enough to try new things and adjust and keep an open mind. Wow. But that's, that's hard. Actually, that's hard. It's just hard. No, yeah, yeah. Wow. What is the non-cheesy answer if you have one? <sighs> <laughs> if you have one, if not, we can move on. <laughs> it's a great question. Um, <laughs> budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> Like the, the, the financial, um, stress of being an entrepreneur is, is, you know, everyone talks about how hard it is to run your own business mm-hmm. and that, you know, that's what I do. I'm a writer. My business is, is writing books and then trying to get them published and then promoting them and filling orders and, you know, booking appearances and, and, you know, doing shows like this. And mm-hmm. this is my job. This is what I do. And I, I'm the guy who's responsible for managing all of it. So, you know, I don't have an assistant. I, I don't have an aide. I have some people who are very helpful. I have people who, you know, volunteer to mod my, my fan club and, and so on. But the, the financial strain of mm-hmm. trying to keep all of those balls in the air can sometimes beca- become very, very stressful. Um, mm-hmm. Cause again, it's just me. And you know, right, like right. I said, with, with failures, like I, if I write a dud, if I write a book and I sink six months into creating a title that nobody buys and gets bad reviews, well, I, I worked for six months right, for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't sell, I don't get money, you know? Um, yeah. Unless I sold the rights to a publisher, which, which happens. Um, but again, like that's, I mean, it's, like demoralizing man like you know what if you went to work for six months and they're like you know actually actually we said we were gonna pay you but Uh it turns out we're not but you gotta keep at it you gotta keep at it and in another six months theoretically we'll pay you again um so (laughs) you know but being persistent and and being able to look back on um my my track record of, of actual success and say all right you know dude you you can do this like you have the skill set, take the time, put the work in, do the stuff you know you're good at, and it'll be okay, you know. And also, not being a dick, I think, helps, right? Like, a, but to knows? like to like who to to your family, your your fans, both. You know, like I, you know, I have to be a good dad <laughs> and a good husband here at home. But you know, treating my fans with respect and mm-hmm. and and showing gratitude. Uh, is a really big thing for me because you know everybody who buys one of my books like that that matters right you know like I'm not I'm not you know these these juggernaut authors that have you know massive six seven figure deals with the the big yes. publishing houses like I have to hustle I work you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I never got a silver spoon I haven't got a golden parachute like I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination I, I live okay you know and I have to be financially stable and I have a good life and you know we we make ends meet but every book that sells matters to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That matters to me. Like you took five bucks out of your pocket and said, I liked what you made. You take this five bucks. And like, that's a big deal. 
Right. You know, like I, I get it. Money's tight. You know, people bust their butts. They, they go to work they, at jobs they don't like. Mm-hmm. And when they part with that money and it, if it comes to me, that matters. You know, like right. I feel that that's that's five more dollars I have for my family and and making sure that I show that gratitude and that I, I stay connected with those people who um, support my writing. Like that is something that intrinsically as a human being, I don't think I could ever not do. Um. And I think it's it, it's important. I think it's also why I've been able to hold on to fans for so long. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, I have people who started with me 12 years ago when I first started publishing that I still talk to on a regular basis that were there oh, for wow. the very first few days. And that's important. And it feels good. You know, it's that community. You know, it's like you were saying, like when you play MMOs and like, you know, you get a good storyline, you got some friends. It's good. Like, that's good. Right. Yeah. That's enough. And that's, you know and it's fulfilling and it's satisfying. And for me as a writer, it's the same thing, right? Like I'm telling my stories. I got my few friends out there who most I've never even met that read my books and then check back in with me after and like, dude, I love this thing. Oh, I can't believe you killed this person. You know, like I get that <laughs> lottery, I get that family and that that's, that fills my cup, you know? Would you say that's your favorite part of the writing process or is there a different part? It's definitely something that I get jazzed over. I I love doing in-person events, you know, like conventions or panels or meet and greets or signings or whatever, because writing is an inherently lonely process. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sit at my desk, you know, however many hours a day I can manage. And it's just me, you know, mm-hmm. like there, I, I don't get to turn around and ask the guy in the cubicle next to me whether or not, you know, we want to get food for lunch right it's just me. yo and i, I don't right yeah and i don't get the human presence right so when i do these events in person it's like amazing to like see actual enthusiasm and connect with those people in a very real and meaningful way and my wife always says she's like every time after you do something you come back and you're like energized you know Cause it's exciting, you know, like it's so cool to sit down with someone who read a story you wrote and liked it, you know, like that's so validating, right? Like Mm -hmm. you put months and months and months into a story and you don't know if it's good. You hope it's good. You think it's good, but you don't know it's good. And then you find someone it connects with. And, and that is just like, it's just like literally get just gasoline in the tank. Now, how do you decide what part of the stories that you have in your in your head makes the final cut? Because I know as a writer, you have to have so many different thoughts and ideas about how the story could go. Mm-hmm. And how do you make that determination about which of the many storylines or timelines that makes that final cut? I don't know. I, like, I really don't know. I, I couldn't describe that process to you with any level of accuracy other, <laughs> other than over the years I've built a sense mm. and I, I, I sum it up a lot of times when I'm asked that I, I can basically say that I know that if I'm writing it and I'm excited as I write it, mm-hmm. I'm doing it right. Whatever it is I'm doing, that's the right thing. Mm. But when I'm writing it and I get the, eh, mm, if I hesitate, if I'm not completely all in on an idea, that's the stuff that winds up getting the bad reviews down the line or turns mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the dud books. 
So hmm. I, 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 you know, I've just built a sense over the years of, of how to know what's right and what's wrong. And then, you know, obviously there's like the BS answer of, well, you know, I know how to structure a story. It's a three part act. I have an antagonist and a protagonist. <laughs> you know, like, oh, but that's all structure, right? Like that's all anybody can buy, you know, the, 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 how to write a storybook and, and learn all the different, you know, steps in the pacing and whatnot. Um, and that's just the way that is, but now I it, did have a follow-up question to that because you did mention that that is uh, how you normally do it. But um, aren't you starting a different genre of writing? So would that new genre not provide as much excitement? Vice versa. Um, oh. Trying trying out new avenues of writing is a challenge, right? Mm. And trying to put my own personal style and fingerprint mm -hmm. on that new genre is, is exciting, you know, cause it's like, it's just cool to try, you know, like, and, and even though I am afraid of failure, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's also the excitement that what if people really like it? You know, it's like why we buy scratch tickets, right? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you go into the, the, you know, the seven 11 on the corner and you buy a $5 scratcher and you say, all right, here we go. You know, the, the grand prize is a quarter million bucks, right? What are the odds you're actually going to scratch a quarter million? Right. Right. Like one in 500,000 or something like that. So, you know, going into it, probably not going to win, but it's fun to try. Right. And when I'm writing in a new genre, it's like a safe scratch ticket hmm. because I, I have enough um, ardent supporters of me as a writer that I know that it, they'll just buy it because I wrote it and they know what they're going to get because I wrote it. You know, mm -hmm. like they know the style of books. They know how I write characters. They know how I write action. They know how I write, you know, intrigue and plot and whatever. And that structure, that style appeals to them. And then whatever genre I throw it in, they're cool with. And I know that I have enough of those people that I can be pretty risky. I can I can take some risks, and I'm fortunate enough in that. But eh, it's exciting. It's also scary. <laughs> now, that makes me think of a risk that my mind just pieced together, as you mentioned that. Would you ever you know consider that if somebody reached out to you and they said i love the material that you're writing i want to turn it into a game would that be mm -hmm. something that you would even consider or would you say now nah, that's the old me i, I no no i that man are you kidding i <laughs> I, I i i i probably dream about that stuff i you know the hope of every writer is that the story that they write gets picked up for you know tv or movies or um, video games or comic books or, you know, whatever other medium that, that it can jump to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I, I would be so excited. It would be just a thrill. Oh, that that's good to hear. Cause you know, if you already do it on the side with your friends or people that reach out to you, you know, there's no telling what your future may hold, especially if you let them know that that's something that you're not completely against. Uh, now, you know, Last couple of questions that I, 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 you know, these are the juicy questions that I really personally do like. Uh, <clears throat> so like if, if you had the opportunity to just, you know, wrap back in time to like 18 year old you and you had to give yourself a, you know, five minute pep talk, you know, <laughs> what, what would that conversation sound like? 
I, as an 18 year old, I had precious little confidence in myself. I, I, we moved a lot as a kid growing up. I was always the new kid. I, you know, I'm a big guy, so I was a chunky kid and that kind of leveled off in high school. But if I could sit down with 18 year old Chris, who, you know, just graduated high school, barely, barely, (laughs) my high school GPA was not much above a two. Um, Um, I, I would pull him aside and, and just be like, dude, like you, you are talented, you are talented, but you got to stick with it. Whatever it is you want to do, you got to stick with it. And to just, I would just encourage myself to be courageous with my creativity. Mm. Um, and I, I, I had this preconceived notion that I couldn't be creative and make a living at it for a very, very long time. And I, I think now looking back, like, well, what, what if I actually had the guts to try when I was like 20 mm. or 25, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what would my writing career look like if I had an extra decade thrown onto it? Where would I be today if I started writing when I was 24 instead of 34? Um, but you know, it's fun to think about. Well, that's actually really interesting. And do you think that if you had that opportunity that you would be able to continue or was it because you'd never had somebody that was in your corner being that kind of vocal that enabled you to wait a couple more years to start? I don't know. I, you know, that I don't know. My friends were very um, supportive of my creativity, you know, cause like mm-hmm. we were gamers. Right. And, you know, we yeah. played a lot of D and D and they were like, dude, you tell a great story. And my buddy Joe was the guy who who really pushed me to to take my writing to that next level and try to write a book. And yeah, you know, he's an old school gamer from when we were growing up. And my friends believed in me, but my family, you know, they just didn't. No one in my family at the time was creative. You know, mm. they all worked assembly lines, or they you know, had office jobs, or you know, most of us hadn't gone to college, and you know, we were very blue collar. And the idea that I could do anything that wasn't like that was just completely unthinkable. Not, not only was it not possible, it just wasn't even on the table as an option to think about. And hmm. yeah, I don't know. But you know, here I am now. <laughs> and, you're, and you're doing a great job now. Uh, last couple of juicy questions. So <clears throat> you mentioned that your favorite part of the writing process is when you meet with people face to face at conventions. Do you have a favorite memory of something that might have happened? Oh, something God. somebody might have said, uh, anything, any signing, anything that might have happened that just makes you think this is why I write there. There have been a few. Um one of the most inspirational things that ever happened to me at a convention was when I went to, as a fan to a horror convention near Boston uh, called Rock and Shock, which isn't around anymore. But I got to sit down with George Romero, hmm. which is the you know the grandfather of the zombie genre. Um, you know, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, all that. And he was like, I idolized this guy. You know, like I saw hmm. every one of his movies. I thought they were amazing. I thought he was decades ahead of his time. And he was like, so nice. You know, he was like grandpa, you know, like I sat down with them and like, we shot the shit for five minutes and it was like sitting down with, with grandpa, except he was jazzed about zombies. Like I was. And, uh, that was just life changing. Um, because it, 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 it showed me that, you know, he, he was just a guy who did it, 
you know, he like sat down with his friends and they said, all right, let's make a movie. Screw it. And ran up their credit cards and borrowed money from their friends. And they shot, they shot the movie in a house that was getting torn down a week later. And they had like Mm -hmm. four days to film this whole movie. And I said, dude, I could, I could do that. Like I could be creative. Like I could just try. Right. So that, that was a hugely inspirational thing for me. Um, and as far as when I was attending as like a, a celebrity, you know, (laughs) one of the coolest things, and it's happened a few times now is connecting with an online fan that I've never met before, but I talk to a lot Mm. because, you know, people who don't, you know, MMO people understand because, I, I I am blood brothers with people that I have played with for years online. Like I would, if they called up and said, you know, Hey, I'm in trouble. I'd figure out a way to help them mm-hmm. because we, you just spend so much time with them in the virtual world that they become yeah. much more real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and going to shows and connecting with some of those people have been just like, like just really awesome because you finally meet them and, and, you know, often they are who they were online. And that's just really cool because now they're not just a name you see on, a, on an IM, you know, they're not yeah, an email yeah. you get every once in a while. They're not, um, you know, posts about their cats. You know, you go out to dinner with them or you have a drink or whatever. And that, that to me is like, is really cool because I'm, I'm, I'm not collecting just a career. I'm collecting a community built around my mm. writing. And that sounds kind of cheesy, but you know, I am, you are. I have a fan club, <laughs> you know, there's like, a thousand people in my fan club and that's really cool, you know, and they talk to each other. And the only reason why they talk to each other is because they read my books and knowing that I was in some way instrumental, um, in other people connecting and forming a community and, and doing something is just like, it's just really, really neat. Um, yeah. And like I, I had a rando meet and greet down in Houston. Mm hmm six years ago, seven years ago and had no idea what to expect. And one of my local fans there was like, Hey, you know, we're going to, I'm going to set this up for you. Cause you're coming through town again. It was an, an online buddy yep. and huge supporter. And they had a friend who had a bar in Sugarland, right outside of Houston. And they, they told the bar owner like, Hey, we got, I got an author coming in. He's, you know, pretty well known might, might get five, 10 people, but you know, can we just have a few tables set off to the side? And then, you know, they're like, yeah, sure. It was on a Tuesday, whatever. And we had like 40 people show on this like random night. And like the bar, the bar owner was like, what the hell? You know, like (laughs) like, this place is dead. Now it's packed. And it was just a really, really, really um, affirming experience. Right. Because I was expecting three or four people, like the people Mm -hmm. who I knew who lived there. Right. And, and all of a sudden it's just like these strangers kept walking up to me and being like, Oh, we read your book a couple of years ago. It was so cool. I brought it. Can you sign it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who the hell are you? (laughs) Like, how did, what, you know, like, and it's just like, it kept happening and happening and happening. And four hours later, it was just like, you see this like fingerprint that you left on the world. And it's just, it's so, so much bigger than, than, you know, I thought I was, um, so the, those are, you know, with conventions and appearances, those are the stuff that like sticks with me. And it's why I keep wanting to go because I know it happens enough that like, if I just hold an event, it's, it's going to be amazing. 
it doesn't matter how many people show i'm gonna be jazzed about it yeah yeah oh my goodness that sounds so exciting honestly like and i know you have a whole lot more because you're you're getting super excited <laughs> just thinking about all those memories and wow that's that's super super intriguing to know <laughs> uh and and to know that you started off with gaming with you know mm -hmm. just writing lore with just balancing games with just mm -hmm. posting consistently on forums and you know you go now to a convention and people want you to sign the material that you created by yourself you know and mm -hmm. having assistance uh you know by volunteers but still ultimately you're by yourself writing day in and day out as mm -hmm. much as you can and now you have other people that read your work now last few questions might not be as exciting but i do want to know because you've written so much in so many different genres do mm -hmm. you have like a specific baby quote unquote or a favorite book that you've written or a favorite character or are they all just equally alike for you oh no some are trash um, <laughs> just, oh man <laughs> being, being real with that um the, so when I when I was working for the company uh, doing game development uh, in my side time, I was developing um, a world for a role playing game. Mm -hmm. um, could have been an MMO, could have been a tabletop. And I, I, you know, in my spare time, I just kept working on it and building the lore for this world and building the mechanics and creating the setting and drawing maps and all that stuff. And when I left, it was mine. I, I created it and it was mine. And after becoming a writer, I wrote a, a series of books set in that world. And uh, it's a trilogy. It's called the Kinless Trilogy. And the world is called Elmoran. And the books weren't great. They were some of the first books I wrote. And, you know, looking back on them now, you know, 10, 10 odd years later, like, oh, man, those could have been a whole lot better, huh? Um, and they, they don't really sell that well. They're, it's kind of a weird thing. And I didn't know how to sell them. And the covers weren't that great. But those are my babies. like Because they, they actually were born back in 1998. Mm -hmm. You know, 12 years before I started writing, really. And I, I put so much work <laughs> into creating the world mm -hmm. that those books are in. Like, I, I forget the exact number. But I have something like 300,000 words of just setting text wow that that aren't like no one will ever see it but i used it as the structure to write the books and like then, outside know, the book oh yeah yeah in the development yep oh yeah yeah wow and you know by by comparison three hundred thousand words could be four or five novels of just raw like world building um so those are my babies um as far as my favorite character goes the the main character that i'm most well known for adrian is is by far and away my favorite character and i have a bunch of characters i really like but adrian is um for all intents and purposes adrian is me through a filter mm. so i can just be me and and just write whatever comes to mind and just be authentic and people dig it right so like i have a, a very special um affinity for him Wow, that's so, so intriguing. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> you threw me off with that first statement. Uh, but uh, uh, last last question that I do have is, if you weren't a writer, if you weren't a game developer, what profession could you see yourself in? 
Uh, one of two. I, I worked after leaving game development. I went back to school and got a, a new bachelor's degree uh, in psychology. And for um, about, about 10 years, I, I worked uh, as a counselor for kids. Mm. Uh, basically at a treatment facility helping kids who you know were unsafe to be home kind of get their lives together and sort out their issues and and get therapy and help for their problems and i was good at that i i i I knew i was good at it when i was doing it and it was tough to leave um because i enjoyed doing it it was a really hard job but i i enjoyed it and i knew i was making a difference in in kids lives um but you know i left to be a writer so you know i i left one great thing to try and do another great thing so um if I wasn't writing, I would, I could absolutely go back in and do that. And you know, what's interesting, if you want to keep talking about gaming is I ran therapy games at, at this treatment facility, um, role-playing oh. game. Yeah, seriously, role-playing games. And we would sit around the table and I would have five or six kids playing Dungeons and Dragons with me. Oh my God. And I would, and I would make adventures that had goals that these kids needed to achieve in their, their therapy and their characters would sort of you know by proxy achieve those goals without them feeling um like they were going to therapy right and they were having fun they were rolling dice and their barbarian was smashing um you know smashing a goblin's head but you know the big picture was is he was helping his friend and he was trusting people you know so i would i could definitely go back and do that and i i minored in criminal justice um mm -hmm kind of by accident like I, I i didn't intend to but when i you know they send you the slip of paper that's like hey you're about to graduate what do you want to say your degree is in and they show you all the classes you took and then yeah. like how close you are to, to checking off all the boxes for a major or a minor and when they sent me that it was like hey if i just take this one more class i can have a minor in criminal justice too ah screw yeah. it you know like might as well get a minor in something you know and uh I actually, one of the jobs that I was offered when I got out of school was as a state trooper here in New Hampshire. And um, I, I had accepted the offer, even though I didn't really want to be a cop, <laughs> because it was working at the state mental health hospital. So um, I was going to be working with like some pretty truly dangerous psychiatric patients, but it just sounded cool that like I was going <laughs> to be in this place and I was going to help keep these people safe. And, you know, I'm level-headed, I'm calm, I don't freak out, I don't really panic. Um, and I just thought it would be like a really neat, you know, position to kind of, you know, help people who really needed help. Um, but I wound up taking the job working with kids and, and it worked out for the best, so. Wow, that is really cool. I'm glad you did because I think you provided not only a relief for them, but you helped yourself as well. Continue your dungeon mastering as well as your storytelling. Uh, it's no wonder that you're such a great storyteller because it sounds like you've been continuously just honing and fine tuning that skill set for many, many years. And uh, once again, I thank you so much for you know taking the time out of your day, joining me, uh, giving us some of your amazing backstory in regards to how you became an author if Thank you ever you. if you ever did become a video game or anything like that that is going to have to be a part of like i started this by playing <laughs> games doing forums and you know just oh yeah. just an amazing story 
I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody that commented on there, uh, you know, just so that we have uh, an opportunity to read some people's comments. Uh, you've been very impactful for for other individuals. You know, Mike Jackson, you know, says thanks for having the number one Zompak author in the world on. Uh, you know, some people, like you mentioned, just hate you for absolutely no reason at all. Mm -hmm. uh, consistency is a skill that has to be learned to do anything. Uh, and she she even said it's true that sometimes she just pre-orders <laughs> just because your name's on it, as you mentioned. Um, and uh, Anthony mentioned that you have made a significant difference in his life. So you're doing something good, even though it might feel in the moment that it's not doing anything. There are people that are being impacted by your works. So kudos to you. I hope you keep Thank it you. up. Thank you so much for pu putting, you know, blood, sweat and tears, your sacrifice, <laughs> whether it's a dud, whether it's a bestseller, you're doing something that alleviates people's pains and sorrows. So thank you once again. And, uh, you know, once again, let people know where they can follow you, where they can support you <laughs> as an indie author and all thank that you. good for you. So uh, any any of the social networks, you just plop in Philbrook author and it'll come up or you can just put my regular name in Chris Philbrook and, uh, you know, the, the algorithm will point you to my my places. And if you're interested in looking up the books specifically, you can go online to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and just drop my name in Chris Philbrook and it'll give you my, my backlist. And if you want to go to a bookstore. You can just walk into the bookstore and see if they have my stuff on the shelves. And if they don't, they can absolutely order anything for you. Um, and again, you can always find everything. I, my central hub is my main website, and that's thechrisfilbrook.com. So. Well, you heard it from here, and you heard it from him. Other than that, I wish you have a fun and productive rest of your night if you're going to continue working. And if not, I hope you have a great rest of your night sleeping. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care and be safe. And if you guys like that interview, make sure to like, comment and subscribe. And if you go to the library and they don't have it, make sure to ask the library to plug you in to his material <laughs> as well. All right. Take care.